have you noticed uh, when you get a something you're going to put together at your house or maybe you get a new item of clothing and they come sometimes with these crazy warnings that you go really I don't know if it's the companies are maybe so litigious these days they want to make sure they're not liable for dumb decisions that people make but let me just show you a couple this first one is for a label on a shirt and here's what it says do not iron while wearing shirt all right, just, just honest here. Anybody ever tried that one here? Okay, right, uh, right down here, got one, one of my kids, a college roommate, tried that one. They're like, ouch. Yeah, so anyhow, how about this next one? Maybe especially for guys while we live a, long, a shorter lifespan, do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. Women, I don't know, maybe, you th I don't think you do this as much, but we guys are like, hey, I wonder what this feels like down over here. Sometimes as kids, you got to give kids warnings like this one right here. That tasty, already chewed gum in the urinal looks so good, I want to just pull it out. Yeah. And then there's uh, one for parents as well. Uh, in case you're thinking, I don't have to give my child a bath, just, you know, I'll just put them in the washing machine with the clothing. And then how about this one? If this is a public service announcement, going to the zoo, please be safe. Do not stand, sit, climb, or lean on zoo fences. If you fall, animals could eat you, and that might make them sick. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Kids, it's not you I'm concerned about, but, you know, those lions and tigers are very rare. Why do we give warnings? Sometimes, like we said, it's because companies are like, you know, like, you know, the famous one about McDonald's where the lady... Susan, because the coffee, like, it was hot. Like, you didn't warn me the coffee was hot. You know, and get seven and a half million dollars or whatever. And, but, but when you have someone you care about and you give them a warning, like a dad sits down with his daughter and he says, hey, I know you're going to this party. Can I just talk about if you face this situation? I just want to share from my own experience. I, or, or you're a coach. Coach sits down with her players at the end of a night and says, hey, great win tonight. Guys, it's a Friday night, you're going out. I just want to give you a warning about the kind of decisions you're going to make. Why do people do that to people they care about? It's out of love, right? They just go, I, I love you enough to tell you that there are some things lurking out there that are and decisions that you might just go with the flow. And if you do, you're, I don't want you to face the consequences of that. So it only makes sense that when Jesus is talking to people he cares about, which is you and me, right, that he would, in some of his parables, we're looking at these stories, these compelling stories that Jesus tells, and, and he tells us about what life is like living under his leadership. But then he says, and if you don't, if you don't live life like in the pathway of which I'm leading, and you go this way over here, he goes, there are some consequences you're going to face. So he gives us some warnings. You're going to see on the screen here, he gives us warning. He tells a story about some tenants and, and who are managing property and how they, they completely reject the owner and the owner's son, and, and the metaphor is pretty clear. He tells about a bridegroom that, that shows up for a wedding, and the, and the bridal party is not ready. He creates parables about fish and about weeds, things that were very familiar to the people at the time. Reminder that we all have an eternal destination. They're parables that warm. Did you know the five of the parables Jesus tells ends with a little phrase that says, there will be weeping and what? 
gnashing of teeth. I, I don't like that. I'll just be real honest. But five times. Why does he do that? Because he, he, he cares about us enough to go, he was, I, I want to warn you. Like, I, I want to tell you something here that I don't want this to be what the end of the road is like for you. So the parable we're going to look at today is just, I wanted to look at one of them that's a sample of a warning. Jesus speaks to you and to me, and he actually says in this parable, watch out, be on guard. That's the way he begins it. So what's the warning he gives to us today? Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke has given us a carefully written historical account of Jesus. That's the way he opens the gospel. And we're going to be looking at chapter 12 today. If you need a Bible, if you don't have a paper Bible, uh, your Bible app on your phone is an awesome app. It's free. And, and uh, there are notes that you, if you didn't get on the way in, or those of you engaging online, you can just go to our bulletin at gracecma.org, and, and uh, you'll see the message notes there. Let me just say to those of you online, really glad to have you with us watching from different places. Those of you at Olmstead Falls Campus, uh, Lorraine Correctional, it's great to be with you guys a couple of weeks ago. I'm cheering you on. And, uh, and, and wherever you are, uh, thanks for digging into God's word with us. So Jesus is teaching the people. This guy uh, in the audience, there's thousands of people. If you look at verse 1, it says so many people, so many thousands are actually like trampling each other. And this guy waits for a pause in, in, in the teaching, and then he says this, verse 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, teacher, tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And that day, Jewish law clearly prescribed that at the death of a father, the elder son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son would receive one-third. I shouldn't be saying that, though, because my brother's right over here. It's not something we do today. It's not part of, you know, Andrew, it's not in the Scripture. It's just Jewish tradition, okay? But you know what happened is, is that, like often happens, and you've seen it probably, maybe you have a story in your own family where... In the midst of your grief, people just, sometimes it brings stuff to the surface and they get weird with each other. And one of the family members will uh, either legally or criminally will sort of rip off the other family. Have you seen that happen? And you're like, this is the time like mom and dad or grandma and grandma, whoever would want us to pull it together. And, and we're doing this. And so this guy, that's what happens to him. And he, and he, he sort of raised his hand. He goes, hey, Jesus. He goes, I know Jesus. He's, he's all about justice, you know, and he's going to tell my brother. And so he tells him, he says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my fair share of the inheritance. And Jesus surprises him. And in verse 14, Jesus replied, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, oh, watch out. Be on your guard. Here's the warning. Against all kinds of greed, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The New Living Translation says it this way. Life is not measured by how much you own. You see it on the screen there. Would you say that aloud with me? You ready? Life is not measured by how much you own. And then Jesus launches into a parable to sort of illustrate that. And it's a means by which you and I can take inventory. And there are some things here that, that we want to read carefully because he's not saying it's wrong to have money or to have things that we enjoy, but he's saying, but there's a way that we can do that, that we can get wildly off track, and the end is not good. Just a couple of things before we dig into this parable, things that we can always know when we look into God's word here. You'll see these in your notes. Jesus' desire is to give us real life so that we can experience uh, his leadership and, and all that he intends for us. In fact, he says in John 10, he says, I've come that you might have life 
and that you might have it to the full. So um, he wants us to experience life as he truly designed it. He goes, there's a way to do that, but there's a way not to do that. In fact, the next thing here it says is, Jesus' teaching are always for our own good, even if they seem contrary to the world's wisdom. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 13, it says this, observe the Lord's commands that I'm giving you today for your own what? Good. Friends, whenever you read the scripture and you see something, you go, I don't really like that. And, and you say, I want to go this way, and Jesus is going... Uh, no, actually, that's going to lead to some woundedness. That's going to hurt the people around you. I'm asking you to do it this way, my pathway, and I'm telling you it's for your own good. It's a matter of faith. Like when I, whenever I approach the scriptures, it's a matter of my saying, do I trust his heart? Do I trust that when I'm reading the scriptures that, that he wants me to live life as he designed it, to really enjoy a life that's full and meaningful, and whatever he tells me is, is for my good. You have to make a decision on that one. Do you believe that? Even when there's tough stuff that... So when we approach this uh, parable here, we, we can know, okay, he, he, he's telling us this for our good because he wants us to experience life the way that he's designed it. So here's the parable Jesus launches in. He goes, life is not measured by how much you own. Let me tell you a story about that. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Let's just pause here a second. This guy faces the fork in the road, right? He's experienced some success, and he goes, what, what do I do? Like, I, I have more than what I need, and so uh, I, you know, like, I've got a decision to make, and so I've been blessed, and, and what do I do with the overage? That's the point of the parable. Jesus wants to talk about that, and and so Jesus has just told them, he goes, life is not measured by how much you own. Let me just say, that, that flies in the face of our culture, right? Has anybody here, you, you hear someone, you're like, oh, I just met so-and-so. I'm curious what kind of house they live in. And so you go on Zillow, and you're like, I know their address, you know. And you go on Zillow, and you go, holy cow, that's a nice house. You don't only just stop at the outside of the house. What do you do? I'm going to go inside. You keep on clicking those arrows and look through and... You're like, wow, that's a nice bathroom. We ought to have a shower like that, right? And, and you're like, they have done really well. They, wow, they're blessed. Or you look at a guy driving up, and he, he's got this 1999 old rusty Ford Escort, and you go, yeah, he's struggling. Yeah, his life is not very good. And in the background, Jesus is going, what? Life is not measured by what? By what you own, Right? Nice house, dumpy car, whatever it might be, life is not measured by what you own. And so let's continue here and see how this guy, he, he sort of gets it wrong. Verse 18, then the businessman said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, hey, you got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life, easy, eat. You know, buy that house down and get your RV and watch reruns of Jeopardy and be merry, right? Now, is there anything wrong with that? We're going to see in a second. No, no, there's this, but there's something he misses. But let's just say what this guy was like. He's been successful, maybe a pillar in the community. He's earned his money honestly, right? He's a farmer. I mean, the guy probably was really hardworking, probably sponsored the Little League team in the community. Kids are doing well in school, you know. 
They're, they're just doing great. They're blessed financially. So he opens up another stock portfolio and he goes, you know what? I've done really well and now I'm doing even better. Like I've just, and he's faced with the decision that faces so many of us and he follows the world's financial advice. Just more and more and more. And you know what God's evaluation is? Like in two words, this is the shocker that Jesus goes, you know this person you all think so well about? He goes, you're a fool. You're a fool. Here's what Jesus says in verse 20. God said to him, you, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves. Read the last little phrase there with me. Did you read that? But is not rich toward God. Oh, to get to the end of your life and for God, whose opinion matters most, to say, you fool. Sobering, isn't it? A fool in biblical terms is someone who misses the wisdom of God. They ignore him and they just live life the way everybody else is living without regard for what God says about life. So the next, guy, this wife, next day, this guy's wife goes downstairs to get her coffee out of the kitchen, and she sees her husband over at the desk pouring over his portfolio, and she goes, hey, Bill, 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 and he's gone. And a couple of days later, the whole community gathers and, you know, they're, they're just singing his praises and they're going, this guy was amazing. I mean, look at, you know, how much he did and made and he's got these huge barns in him. We all wish we could be like Bill. And God says, he's a fool. Friends, there's something about it just shakes up our American kind of Would have been helpful for his neighbors to have read Psalm 49. I remember the first time when I was probably 16, I met someone who was richer than I'd ever met before, you know, and they could, I mean, they could, they could afford anything. And I read this, and this person did not have faith, and that was, and, and, and it was like God spoke to me and said this, Psalm 49, this is exactly out of the scripture, do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take only half of it with them when they die. Now, what does it say? They'll take nothing with them when they die, right? Their splendor will not descend with them, though while they live, they count themselves blessed. And yeah, people praise you when they see you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth, hear the three key words, but lack understanding. He doesn't say people who have wealth are like the beasts that perish. He says people that have wealth but lack understanding. It's the same thing Jesus says. This is what it'll be like for those who have a lot of money, but they fail to be rich toward God. You see the warning for us? Put some takeaways in your notes here because we can easily misunderstand this parable. But let's first say what wasn't wrong about what this guy did. It's not wrong to save for your later years. Number one in your notes there, financial planning is affirmed in Scripture. Nothing wrong with, you know, earning an honest income, having a savings account or 401k and stuff like that. I've listed Bible references in your notes that affirm that kind of saving. In fact, there are probably too many Christians that live 
at the level of their income or above the level of their income, and they're like, I am not ready for retirement, right? And so what was the problem with this guy? He missed something. If you read the last verse closely, you notice that the problem wasn't that this man had a healthy portfolio. The problem with this man is that he didn't, he didn't do what? Number two, the critical mistake was failing to be rich toward God. He was saving without giving. He kept building a fatter and fatter retirement plan and going, you know what? And we don't know why he did it, because he had already had plenty. But he, he's like, if I can reach that threshold, I've always wanted to have that figure in my retirement or more than my older brother or whatever it might be. And it was all about him. In fact, if you look in verses 17 and 19, just sort of, you'll see it, I or my are used 11 times. I'll do this and I'll build up that and I'll grow my this. And... But he wasn't rich toward God. You know, you might ask, you might go, wow, that, that's a serious kind of evaluation from God to be called. How do, you, how do I avoid what happened to this, this successful business guy? You know, like a lot of the parables, Jesus doesn't fill in the details. He doesn't go, all right, let me give you, you know, a formula here for how much it's okay to, this many years, you know, of whatever. He doesn't do that. He just says, this is what it's like for those who have a lot of money but are not rich toward God. So I was taking a walk with Mary this week. Mary and I, if you see us around uh, town, honk your horn at us. We often are walking and we'll talk about our day and we'll pray together. So I'm talking to Mary and I said, Mary, I'm talking about this parable. I said, do you think we're rich toward God? Like, what do you think it means for us? Like, what do you think we need to do so that when we come to the end, God doesn't look at you and me and say, you, you fools. I have a really generous wife. Like, Mary's amazing. And uh, so you can also leave this parable and you can be affirmed and say, man, I, but, but it's good to evaluate and say, am I being rich toward God? And if you say, well, what exactly does that mean? That's the question we say, Jesus, what does that mean for me? Like, would you just, would you speak to me and, and guide me? And Lord, I want to I want to I want to be rich toward you. I, I want that to be the case for me. And you know what you discover is number three in your notes, real joy is in allowing Jesus to rule at the center of your life. You go, my life is not defined by how much I own. My life is defined by my relationship with Jesus. Paul says, I consider everything I have, everything I've accomplished, my educational accomplishments, everything else is a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Like if I know Jesus and I've been redeemed by him, forgiven, I'm part of his family, I have, I'm a rich guy, right? And, and that's what defines me. There's joy in saying I don't, I, I'm not defined by, by my house or my car, my job or my 401k or whatever. There's a line in your notes that says this, when you hold your open palms before him, it's just a sign of your surrender. That he doesn't ask us to give because God needs our money, but it's because he wants what? He wants our hearts. He wants to see, do you, do you trust me? Do you value the things I value? Do you care about people in Burkina Faso and Senegal? Do you care about people in your community who are in need? Do you, are, are, you, are you rich toward the purposes of God? Are you making an impact? Because here's what we know from the, the Bible's perspective. Number four, last point here, it's the Lord's evaluation of my life that matters most in the end. 
There's a couple of verses that you're going to see on the screen here that I think if you're saying, okay, what does it look like to be rich toward God? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. I wonder if he had Jesus' parable in mind. And he says this. He says, teach those who are rich in this world, which let's just say if you live in America, statistics are you're in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. You might go, oh, I'm not that rich. Take a short-term missions trip sometime. Visit another part of the world. Trust me, you'll come back and you'll go, all right, maybe... I mean, at least the top 10% or something like that, because you, you, we have so much more than what other people in the world have, by and large. So he says, teach people rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable as a way to define your life. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So he does give us things to enjoy, but tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, Generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others by doing this. Listen to the benefit when you're rich toward God. They will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Isn't that what you want? You go, I I can have a good foundation for my eternal future and I can experience true life. I can get to the end and instead of God looking at me and saying, you fool, he goes, wow, Way to go. Like you kept me front and center. You enjoyed the things I gave to you, but you also gave what you could. You were rich toward me. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he gives U-turn opportunities. You don't have to, you don't have to, whatever direction you're going, you don't have to just say, well, that's the way I'm not making. He always lets us have, he pours out his grace so we can make a U-turn and change our destination. Our daughter, Joy, uh, several years ago, probably five years ago, she was having her final banquet at, uh, at West Point, the military academy, and she had invited a friend, Xavier, to go to this banquet with her. He's flying in from St. Louis. Joy was in a Bible study with his twin brother, and so she had met Xavier. She's like, hey, I'm doing this banquet, you know, do you want to, and he's like, yeah, yeah, it'd be great. And so he flies in, Joy drives down to Newark Airport in New Jersey to pick him up. So she goes, hey, you know, she plenty of time. She wants, she's a little bit nervous, you know, and she gets to the arrival. She goes, hey, just want you to know I'm at United door number four, you know, and he goes, all right, I'm, I'm here. And she goes, okay, yeah, I, I don't see you. And he goes, all right, I'll, I'll come out, wave, you know, and she goes, yeah, I still don't see you. And they're going back and forth. And finally he goes, hey, what airport are you at? She goes, I, I, I'm at Newark Airport. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you got my ticket into LaGuardia, 40 minutes away. She's like, oh, my goodness. Joy had thought that she was going to the right destination, right? Puts in her GPS, plenty of time, smooth sailing, she's going there. But the whole time she was running the wrong direction. Like a lot of, today they laugh about it. In about four weeks, they're going to celebrate their marriage. And so it all worked out in the end. And it was awesome. We love our son-in-law to be. And uh, they still laugh about that. Friends, some of us have put the wrong address in our GPS for life. And we think we're doing great. Like other people, they're like, whoa, you're doing awesome. You know, you're, But what if we get to the end and find out we're at the wrong destination? And it's not just about being 40 minutes later at the wrong airport. It's about having lived a wrong life. You know what I love is that God gives us a chance for U-turns. You're here today, I'm here today. And we can say, okay, God, I want this warning. I want to listen to it. I want to take it to heart. And I want you to speak to me. God, I, I want... You just shine your word into my heart, and I want your Holy Spirit 
to direct my steps. So I'm going to invite you to do that with me right now. And I'm going to sort of pray a prayer that Mary and I have prayed. And, and I find it helpful to just have my palms up. So you can close your eyes first. So you don't see anybody else's palms, right? But, but just palms up and say, okay, God, here's what I want uh, to say to you today. So here's, here's what I pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for all you've entrusted to me. And I want to acknowledge that everything I have has ultimately come from you. The body you've given me, the mind you've entrusted to me, the skills. Lord, it's all from you. And so all the money I have is from you as well. And so, Father, I just want to acknowledge that I'm not the owner of that. I simply am the manager. And I want to manage it in a way that honors you. And I've heard the words of your son, Jesus, and I want to be rich toward you. Would you show me that what that looks like, Father? Would you, would you guide me? I invite you to prompt me, cajole, convict, encourage, affirm, redirect, because I want to get to the end, and I don't, I don't want to be like this guy in the, in the story you tell Jesus. I, I, want to hear, I want to hear your affirmation, well done. So guide me, I pray, and as I stand before you, may I be able to do so with confidence that I've, I've cooperated with you and I've been about what you wanted me to be about and sharing your purposes and your vision for a world in need. Thank you, Jesus, for guiding me and for your grace. In your name I pray, and everyone said, amen, amen.